0: How are y'all doing this morning? Good. Amy, could you do me a favor and put the slide back up of the picnic? Of the picnic or the baptism? Yeah, that one. I don't know what kind of baptism this kid's doing, but I love it. (laughs) That's the one I'm going for. Um, No, I do hope y'all can make it out. It's a great time. And this baptism isn't just for kids. If you're an adult and have never publicly declared your faith through baptism, we would love to do that. And that picnic is a great opportunity to do that. And so if that's you, please let me know. uh, And and we would love to meet with you and and talk through baptism and all that. We'd love to do that. All right. Uh, Like I said, my name is Fred. I'm the lead pastor here. And I am so glad that you are here with us today. Um, uh, I've been gone for a few weeks, been on sabbatical. It was great, uh, but there's really is no place like home. It's so good to be home and and, and, and it's so good to be here with y'all. I want to share with you, as we get started, a story uh, that I heard this guy tell. this was uh, I was listening to it before I left. and uh, he was a, a guy who um, was playing football in college and uh, got injured. He tackled somebody incorrectly. Um, and he knew the moment that it happened, something bad happened, and he was paralyzed from the neck down. But he told the story of his recovery and how even though the doctor said you will never be able to walk again, uh, he told the story of being able to wiggle his big toe for the first time, proving the doctor's wrong. He told the story of being able to walk across the stage for his, high, for his college graduation. And then he told the story of they kind of flipped the roles. He walked down the aisle uh, for his wedding. He walked down the aisle to his bride. um, And he told that story. But as he told the story, though, he also told about this part where it was in between the time of the diagnosis, of the prognosis from the doctors, and the time that his big toe wiggled. And he hit an all-time low. He was doing the physical therapy. He was doing the work and saw no results whatsoever, like nothing was responding. And, and he tried to describe that, that anguish when, when everything in your mind and body is looking at your big toe saying, move, move, and there's just no response. And, and he tells about this time where he had, he had really lost all hope. And he's in the physical therapy place, and he's just weeping, and he is done. And he has this physical therapist walk up to him. And she goes, have you ever met a woman from Wyoming? And so he kind of, you know, kind of takes him aback. And he says, no, I've I've never, I don't think, no. Because he's not sure where this is going. She goes, well, let me tell you about women from Wyoming. Women from Wyoming always tell the truth. And then she kneels down and gets right in his eyes and she says, I'm from Wyoming and I'm telling you, you're going to beat this. And she looks him square in the eyes and she says, you are going to beat this. And he said, and in that moment, the hope was filled back up. He was restored to, to keep working and keep going at it. And he said, that moment... Those words are what transitioned him to be able to keep going to see his big toe move, to to be able to walk across the stage, to be able to walk down the aisle to his bride. And that moment restored his hope and put him on this path of healing again. And my point is this, is that words have power, right? The words that we speak and the words that we listen to have power. They have power to heal. They have power to give hope. They have power to alter our life, to alter our perspective. They have the power to to hit those deep places in our souls that need refreshment and need restoration. The Proverbs is a book in your Bible called Proverbs. Most of you are familiar with it, and it's a book of wisdom. And and many of those Proverbs speak to the fact that words have power. Listen to some of these Proverbs. It says, The words of, of the reckless pierce like swords. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Anybody ever said a reckless word and you know it when it left your mouth that it was the wrong thing to say? Words of the wise bring healing. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Gracious words are a honeycomb sweet to to the soul and healing to the bones. Another proverb says this, the tongue has the power of life and death. That's how much words power have. In Proverbs 31, it says of the woman that's described there, it says that she speaks, when she speaks, her words are wise and she gives instruction with kindness. Now here's the deal about words and power. A lot of times it's in these casual moments of life that words have a lot of power, isn't it? When I was in my last year of, of my undergrad. I did my undergraduate in elementary education. And and at the school that I went to, in your junior year, you did like a pre-student teaching where you went in and you observed in classes. You might teach a lesson here or there, but it was really just observation. And then your senior year, you were fully dedicated to, to teaching. And so you'd show up at the elementary school um, and, and you would slowly work your way in. You'd do one subject and then you'd add another subject and add another subject. And eventually you'd be teaching the entire day. And you did that with one teacher, and then you did a different teacher in a different grade to kind of mix things up, to give you experience. Well, the first teacher that I taught with, I walked into her classroom, and she looked at me, and her first words to me were, I didn't ask for a student teacher. And the relationship spiraled down from there. (laughs) It was not a good experience. I did my best, she did her best, but it was not good. And so I was thankful to move on to the to the next teacher in the next semester. And uh, her and I were, were sitting down. This was a fourth grade teacher. Her name is Marcy Kellum. And uh, we were going over a lesson. I'd submitted my lesson plans to her. It's part of what you did. I submitted them to my supervisor at the university and to the teacher. And so we were talking over them. And we were trying to figure out a way to get some concept across. I think it was in science. And, and, uh, and I thought of this movie clip that might be able to work. And we were just talking through it. And she kind of interrupted me. And she goes, Fred, I'm going to tell you something. She said, I have heard things about you. Because this first teacher decided to share some not true stuff about me, honestly. And she said, I've heard some things about you. And I'm going to choose not to believe them. I'm going to choose to let you show me what kind of teacher you are. And she said, and I think you're a great teacher. That one interruption in a conversation changed me. I would have never taught a day in my life if it hadn't been for Marcy Kellum. But she restored my hope. And she allowed me to be the teacher that I knew I could be. You see, our words have power, and I'm sure in your life, there have been times where where you've spoken or you've heard very simple words, maybe even some profound words that have had a huge impact on people. Well, today, this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the words that we speak. And y'all, we're in the book of James. He has been getting up in our business for months now, right? He's going to do it again today. Because what he's going to show us is that the words that we speak show the person that we are. And so I have a question for you before we get started. And it's this: what do you want to be known for? What do you want people to say about you? Do you want to be known for being like this woman from Wyoming who always speaks the truth? Do you want to be like my supervising teacher who chooses not to listen to rumors but instead speak truth? Or do you want to be like like the Proverbs and the woman in Proverbs who words bring healing? If so, today we're going to see how to do this. We're going to see how to be this kind of person. We're going to be in James chapter 5. and We are going to cover one whole verse today. James chapter 5, verse 12. If you need a Bible, there's some in front of you. It's on page 853 in that Bible. Or, or like Carol said, we're in the Bible app. You can download uh, the Bible app, click under events, and click under Fellowship Asheville, and everything is there. Um, and, and so as you're turning there, just to give you an idea too, we are in James. We're in this series called Wholehearted because what we're seeing as we go through James is that our hearts are prone toward division. Right? And when our hearts are divided, when what we think and what we believe are two different things, it causes all kinds of trouble. But when our hearts are whole and we're fully standing in that gospel of grace through Jesus, we get to live out the principles laid out in the Bible. We get to be the person like we're going to see today. Because today we're going to see how when our hearts are whole, our words bring hope and our words bring healing. And today we're going to see this about a wholehearted faith, that a wholehearted faith speaks words of truth. A wholehearted faith speaks words of truth. And so my question to you is, do you want to be known as a person who speaks words of truth? Well, James is going to show us some truths about speaking truth if you will and, and and look at how this truth telling person is developed let's look at chapter 5 verse 12 uh, it starts off with this but above all my brothers And I love the way James does this. He uses this word over and over and over again in the book, my brothers. And that word sometimes refers to a group of men, uh, and sometimes it refers to the body of Christ, to brothers and sisters. And, And this is that time where it is brothers and sisters. And he's saying, listen, again, I'm about to get up in your business. I want to make sure you understand something. I'm speaking to the church because the only way that this truth can be applied and lived out is by those who are in the church because those in the church have something that those outside the church don't and that is a life-giving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That is what our gospel is that when Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead to pay the penalty for our sin, when we say yes to Jesus, it gives us this relationship with God not just for eternity. I mean I mean technically eternity is now. So yes, for eternity. But we live it in the now because the, the, the Spirit of God dwells in you and dwells in us. And that is the secret sauce to make this happen because what James is going to say is this first truth about speaking truth about brothers and sisters is that we have one Father because of Jesus. And his first implication is that what he's about to say is that a truth-telling person develops in the church. That a truth-telling person develops is a brother and a sister and it's in this family of God. He's kind of setting us up for this because what he's about to say is about to be really direct. And he wants you to know that the only way you can live out this truth is when we are in this together to live this out. And he's reminding us of this core truth that, that this church, this family of God, of brothers and sisters that Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, not only is our relationship with God sealed, but our relationship with each other is sealed as well. That we are going to be brothers and sisters for all of eternity. Now, my pastor in Texas used to have this this little thing that he would say, that that he would say, uh, to live above with the saints we love, all that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's a different story. What we're going to see today is is how to live below with the saints we know, and it's not a different story. That the gospel is what what drives this and and what this means here. And, And I've said this over and over and over again. It means that this place, the church, Fellowship Asheville, like we who are part of what God is doing here, in this place we can be anything except a liar. But there's nothing you can bring to this church. There's nothing you can bring to the brother or sister in Christ sitting next to you that will separate your relationship with God or separate your relationship with them because we have this gospel that allows us to live in forgiveness with each other. And we can celebrate when truth is told and we can forgive when sins are forgiven. That is what grace does. That is what grace looks like. And this is what it takes to become a person who's learning to tell the truth. Because that's what James is going to paint this picture here is, is when I get to the verse that's going to hit us all most likely, the expectation is that you will grow in this. Not that you've got this, but that you will grow in this. And as you grow in this, you need people around you who can look at you and say, I forgive you over and over and over again. See, this is what it takes to become a person who tells the truth. Well, let's look and see what the church James is writing to. Let's look and see what they were doing instead of telling the truth. It may seem odd at first, but we kind of do the same thing. We just use different language. Look at the rest. look at verse twelve. It says, "Above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or earth or by any other oath." And so, let me explain this a little bit. Because what they were doing is is they would say something, and somebody would give them that look, like, "Really, really? I, I it's what? You, come on, seriously." And their response to that would be, "I swear by Jerusalem, because it was the." the the city of God. I swear by heaven because it was the the place where the angels dwelled. I swear by my own head. I I don't understand that one, but that's what they would do, right? And why would they do that? Well, to understand why they do that, let's just look at why we do that, right? Because we don't swear by Jerusalem. We don't swear by heaven. We don't swear by our own head. But we've all been in that conversation where somebody's looked at us, right? Where we've said something and they've gone, really? You said that? Or, really? You did that? And we have things that we say to add weight to our words to make them seem more true, right? If you're from the South and somebody says, really? You said that? Or, really? You did that? You might go, hand over my heart. Right? Or somebody goes, really? And you go, I'm telling you. You did that? You said that? I'm just saying. <laughs> right? You see, we still do this today. It just sounds different. But no matter the time, no matter the setting, no matter what the expressions are, when you're in that moment in that conversation and someone goes, Really? You said that? Really? You did that? Here's what it indicates. It indicates that that if more is needed to show that your words are true, in that moment, you're not seen as a truthful person. If more is needed to show that your words are true, in that moment, you're not seen as a truthful person. You know, I've got to be honest, this one stings me. And I've got work to do here, and I'm learning to listen to when people say, really? And I'm learning to do this check on my own heart to be like, okay, why are they saying that because of what I said? Because it's a different, really? is different than really, right? And the really with the question mark makes me see what's going on in my heart. Because I'm going to tell you all, I have a tendency... Um, to, because of my own insecurities, to exaggerate things. And here's why. I want you to like me. And if I can impress you with my words, chances are you will like me. I don't want to be seen as a failure. So I'm not going to tell you the whole side. For those of you who follow me on, on, on Facebook, you got to see the pictures of Europe, right? Because that's where my wife and I were, which was incredible, by the way. What you didn't see is that one of our hotel rooms didn't have air conditioning. You can imagine how that felt, right? We post the pictures that are the part of the story we want to tell, and and that's one thing. But when I do that with words, it can be a little different. And I have to check my own heart. Is there insecurity that's causing me to exaggerate? Or the other one that I do, am I just being impatient and want to get the story over with? You know, I just want to move on to something else. You see, for me, when, when there's that really, it's a heart check for me. And for me to evaluate, am I being a truthful person right now? Because, you see, James isn't the only one who spoke about this. And, and two, here's the deal. What's funny is that pastors are prone to exaggeration. Have you ever noticed that? Like, like, I had a pastor tell me one time, never let the truth get in the way of a good illustration. right? That's not the best approach, by the way. But we're prone to that. And Jesus spoke to, remember, James was, was Jesus' little brother. And so, so, so he heard Jesus teach. And, and Jesus spoke to the same thing that Jesus is saying. In, in Matthew five thirty three through 36, Jesus said this. He said, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord as you have what you have sworn. In other words, Jesus said, listen, you've heard it said. Basically, do what you say you're going to do. And then Jesus says, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is by the throne of God, or by earth, for it is footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of a great king. And do not take an oath by your own head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. You see, Jesus said, I've got a better idea, guys. Instead of swearing by something, instead of, instead of, instead of putting yourself in those situations where your words are questioned, and he's going to say, Jesus says the exact same thing that James is about to say. He says, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. And the rest of verse 12 says, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now this is the part that James gets up in, in, in all of our business. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. In other words, do What you say you're going to do, and don't do what you say you're not going to do. Be the person that's known for doing what they say and saying what they do. Be the person whose yes means yes and whose no means no. So what does this look like? Here's what it looks like. When When you schedule an appointment, you keep it, is what it looks like. You don't fudge the numbers on your report is what it looks like. And here's one that'll get all of us. When you say you're going to pray for someone, guess what? Pray for them. Honestly, I have found a lot of times it's easier for me to go, hey, can I pray for you right now? And just to pray with them. Because it's, it's not out of sin, I just forget when I say I'm going to pray for someone. And all of a sudden, that thing that I said I was going to pray for them, I, it already happened. And then I start twisting my theology. God is, is all over eternity. I, I can pray retroactively, right? Uh, see, y'all have done it too, haven't you? Yes, you have. Yes, you have. When you say you're going to pray for someone, pray for, pray for them. When you say you're not going to go out tonight to the person you just don't want to go out with, don't go out when the person calls that you do want to go out with with. If you say you're not going to go out, don't go out. And I love the simplicity of James's words too. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And sometimes that's all that's needed is a yes or a no. Sometimes you don't have to explain why. Sometimes you can just say, no, that's not going to work for me. Thank you, though. Because I found sometimes when I start giving an explanation, I actually dig myself into a hole. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. And so our next truth about truth-telling is this, that a truth-telling person develops by consistently committing to their word. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, because look at what happens if you don't. James says, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, when you think of condemnation, a lot of times you think of punishment. And what James is using here, he uses this word brilliantly because when you, you, this word is where we get our word hypocrite from. When you look at the Greek, it's, it's, it's that word that hypocrite comes from. And oftentimes, that word is translated as hypocrite. And what James is saying is that when you're a person whose yes might mean no and whose no might mean yes, guess what? You get to be seen as an actor. You will be found out and that will be the condemnation that you're under is because you will be discovered as like an actor on stage where you're saying one thing and doing another. You're acting like someone you're, you're not. And James's point is that if you're a person whose yes might mean no and whose no might mean yes, you will be found out for the actor that you are. And here's why. Because the truth always rises to the top. The truth will be discovered, whether here on earth or later in heaven, the truth will rise to the top and you will be found out. If you don't believe me about this, search something on Wikipedia. In 2001, Wikipedia started and nobody bought into it. Everybody thought this, there's no way if people are able to edit a definition of something by themselves without, without scholarly oversight, without, without, without people who know and biologists and zoologists and all this stuff speaking into it, if we start talking about an otter, we're going to get 150 pictures of what an otter might be and none of them are going to be right. That's the way, and, and if you used Wikipedia as a source in 2001 or 2002, you were laughed at. Now, guess what? You can write a paper and, and source Wikipedia because it is considered valid. Because the truth rises to the top. You see, if you're a person whose yes might mean no and whose no might mean yes, yes, you will be found out. And so James's point is, why not just become a person whose yes means yes and whose no means no? You know, Mark Twain even said, if, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. Right? See, a truth-telling person isn't a fake. And at this point, you might be feeling one of two ways. All right, You're either feeling pretty low, Right, that you've got a lot of work to do on the words that you speak. You've got some people you need to talk to uh, to straighten some things out. You've got some growth to do in this area. Well, me too. Welcome to the club. Glad to have you. But remember how James started this verse, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are the church together. And we have this amazing gift of the gospel where Jesus' death and resurrection gives us the power to become a truth-telling person because here's the deal. Here's the secret sauce that... that you know, as I talked about the death and, and resurrection of Jesus, giving us this, this relationship with God where He is our Father, and we have this indwelling Holy Spirit um, that it dwells in each of us individually and dwells in us together. That Holy Spirit, that relationship with God that Jesus bought, means that that sin that so easily entangles us, that makes us want to exaggerate the truth or, or just flat out lie or not tell the whole truth, that sin, because of what Jesus has done, has zero power over us. you, except the power that you give it. And we are brothers and sisters in Christ together. We are the church, which means we can can live in that spirit-empowered life where sin becomes ugly and Jesus becomes beautiful. But it also means that we have received that level of forgiveness from God, we can give it to each other. That when somebody comes to you and says, you know what, I didn't tell you the whole story, let me tell you the rest. Or hey, I'm sorry, I lied to you, will you forgive me? The forgiveness we've received is the forgiveness that we can give. We can say, of course I forgive you. And they'll say, by the way, I'll probably do it again. I say I'll forgive you again. You see, so if you're feeling low, no, this is the place where you can become a truth-telling person. Now, maybe you're not feeling low. Maybe you're. Go- I've been going through this, and you're like, I'm actually pretty good at this. Well. There's two responses there. One, you're lying to yourself, which is the worst lie that you can tell. And you do need to work on this area. Or two, this actually may not be a struggle for you. Like there are people who just tell the truth. My son, my youngest son is one of them. He has autism. That kind of helps the fact. He's just not going to tell you a lie, which means don't ask a question you don't want an answer to. Now, we've learned, or he's learned, to where if what he's going to say may not be received in the most kind way, then he'll just look at you and go silent. And that means just step back and walk away, all right? But there are some of you, and and you don't have to be on the spectrum to, to do this, where this just isn't your struggle. Here's what I need you to do. For the rest of us, for people like me, when we come to you and say, hey, I said this, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I need you to remember the sins that you do struggle with and the sins that that you have been forgiven for and remember that you can give me forgiveness because you have received forgiveness. You can give that person sitting across from you who is broken and confessing and and repenting of their sin. You can forgive them because you have been forgiven for other stuff. Because they don't struggle with stuff that you struggle with. This is what brothers and sisters in Christ do. This is what the gospel empowers us to do. This is what allows us to be a church where you can confess anything to each other anything, and it doesn't break your relationship with them, it doesn't break your relationship with God, it doesn't break your relationship with this church, that you can confess and repent of it, and you receive forgiveness, and you receive grace. That's what makes a church a place where you can be anything except a liar. Now today, we've got a prayer team uh, they'll be right over here. If, if there's something that you want to confess and, and if there's something you want to repent of, they'd be glad to pray for you. And if the, noise, if, if the music gets too loud, then y'all can step out there in the hallway and, 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 and pray together. But for you, the question is, church, what kind of person do you want to be? Do you want to be an actor who's found out one day? Do you want your integrity to be secure? Do you want to be a person whose yes means yes and whose no means no? Is there something that you need to correct? Is there someone you need to talk to and and just tell the rest of the story? If someone comes to your mind and you need to go talk to them, please do that. And if you're in here, you're listening to this on the podcast, and you're the person that someone comes to, remember to give them grace. Remember to give them forgiveness, because you have been forgiven. Pour out the forgiveness that you have received, and let's be gentle with each other as we learn to become better truth tellers. Are y'all on board? Okay, about 10 of you. I know who they are, so if you need to go talk to someone, go talk to them. They're the the safe ones. Now, church, really, I mean, are y'all on board with this? Do you want to be a church where you can be anything except a liar? Do you want that to be based on the gospel and the gospel alone? Yes. Yes, we do. Because there's no other way. So let's pray. Jesus, Jesus, we love you. You love us and you have loved us since the beginning of time and, and we do not take that for granted. And, and Father, I ask you to, to pour out a special measure of grace on this congregation, on this city. Father, that, that we will be a place where, where truth is, is held up for exactly what it is, that it is the truth and standard lines don't move. But we move closer to that standard line and as we do, there is grace and there is forgiveness and there is mercy and there is compassion and there is is encouragement and there is conviction and confession and repentance and all of that is tethered to the gospel. Because without that, without the life and, and spirit changing power of Jesus, we are nothing. And so Father, fill us Fill us with that power. Fill us with, with that part of your spirit that will give us that grace, that will give us that encouragement and give us that conviction. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.